And it's time for midday here on the 14th day of December. It's 11.30 Central Time, 10.30 Mountain Time. Tyler Cavalli along with you. And thanks for making us a part of your Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. Still cold out there. A lot of teens. Some areas warming up. We might see a couple of 30s popping up here in a little bit. But either way, it's chilly. We'll hear from Jason in sports. Bob Brogan will give us the latest on what stocks are doing so far and uh, a preview of the business report. But let's start with Susan Littlefield to give us a preview of what the interviews we can expect to come on Midday. Well, thanks so much, Tyler. Here's what's happening at a Midday from the farm team. I'll be speaking with the ASI CEO, Peter Orwick, as we talk about how CFAP was a big help to the sheep industry this year. Then at 1245, we're going to talk about the status of the U.S. ag economy. Then at 117, Clay will wrap everything up as he talks with AgWest Commodities about some upcoming webinars. That's a midday on a Monday from the farm team. All right, thank you very much, Susan. Sure appreciate it. Uh, let's turn it over to Jason Jorgensen in sports and the Husker football team. Well, they're going to play one more game at least. <laughs> Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Makes those 11 a.m. kickoff times on Saturday look pretty good. Well, they wanted to, a lot of people didn't want those 11 o'clock kickoffs anymore, so you got that at least. <laughs> 3 o'clock on a Friday, but it's 2020. That's right. Uh, there's been a little bit of scuttle, although we have not heard anything more, that potentially that game could be moved to later on Friday because there's a chance that the game that the Big Ten was wanting to play on Friday night might not happen. Hmm. Uh, we'll just keep an eye on that. But sounds like the weather in New Jersey on Friday isn't supposed to be very good, so they might just decide to say, hey, just, just play this thing at three and get it over with. Goodness gracious. Now, they... There is no talk of not playing that game, right? No, I think they're good to go. Okay. I didn't know with Rutgers but, what but, the situation uh, was. Uh, Noah Vetterold, former Husker, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. had a little bit of success at Rutgers, he actually was hurt. So doesn't look like he will play, which is probably good for Nebraska because that that would just add Salt <laughs> to the to misery the yeah, yeah. if a former Husker were to lead Rutgers to a victory over Nebraska. Oh. Well, Hopefully, uh, he because he kind of got twisted around. He did. Right? Yeah, it was, it was a bad kind of a dirty play. Head. Yeah, it was was a dirty play. So, right. way it goes. Uh, Husker women's basketball later on this afternoon, five against Creighton. Nebraska's three and zero. They usually have some pretty good matchups with the Blue Jays. Uh, we'll have that one over on Cami Country. Also, it sounds like NET will be uh, carrying that one as well. But that's an early tip off at five. That was interesting. Why would they play that game so early? Do you have any idea? 2020. Why is there a Friday football <laughs> game with three, Tyler? Good point. Good point. At this point, anything you just say, it's 2020 at this point. All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Jason. Let's turn over to Bob Brogan. Uh, COVID vaccines are starting to be rolled out. How is that to looking for the stock market? Stocks are rising and trading on Wall Street. Um, a short time ago, the S&P 500 was up about 23 points. The Dow was up 189. The Nasdaq was up 137 points. So the market reacting fairly uh, positively to some of that. Uh, Also, uh, vials of the vaccination have been arriving in Nebraska, Mm. and uh, the governor maybe wasn't quite ready for this question. Who will be the first person to get a vaccination? And uh, he didn't know. Uh, So, yet to be determined. Uh, My arm is available, and uh, the sooner the better. But, uh, you know, um, I don't have the power of anything other than suggestion. All right. Thank you very much. That is Bob Brogan is ready for the COVID shot. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
Santa must thought I was a very good girl this year because he stopped by and filled our stockings with goodies. But it wasn't just my stocking. I mean, he filled all the announcers' stockings. Even though I'm not sure we were all that good. But we have goodies from area businesses that we want to share with you. Listen daily to call in and win prizes from Plum Creek Marketplace in Lexington or JM's Cards and Gifts and Service Drug in Cozad. It's holiday fun and games at the Rural Radio Network. It's 1144 at KRVN, which means it's time for a regional ag weather update. And Paul Perkins has now stepped back into the studio. And, well, Paul, we had some uh, snow hit some areas fairly hard last week. And now we're looking at uh, potential areas getting some good snow yet again uh, tonight and tomorrow. Exactly, yeah, especially after about midnight tonight through the midday tomorrow. We, if you could hand me, I forgot to get that. Uh, that winter weather advisory is in effect for portions of southwest and central Nebraska on into nearby parts of Kansas. Uh, it's from basically from 9 this evening to 6 tomorrow evening. But once again, the bulk of that snow going to file between midnight tonight and midday tomorrow. In Nebraska, this is... A, from around Orr to Kearney, Midland, and Alma on the eastern edge of this advisory in Nebraska. Then from around Broken Boat to Lexington and McCook on the western end. Kansas, the advisory includes areas from around Norton and Hoxie, west to Colby and Atwood. Expecting two to four inches of snow in those areas with locally higher amounts. And we do have that advisory and also the snowfall forecast maps on our Facebook page that you can check out. That's where uh, the bulk of the snow is expected to fall for this system. Otherwise, a lot of us probably looking at accumulations of around one to three inches. So the western regions that didn't get a lot of snow or any snow from the last storm that came through last week might get more this week. Well, actually, in western Nebraska, lesser chances of okay. snow in All the right. forecast. Uh, kind of, It's going to hit a lot of the same area with this system this week for portions of southwest and central Nebraska in okay. uh, a little bit of a western and central Kansas right now. So, yeah, the snow chance is a little more iffy as you go towards the west. Well, I'm sure the western areas are saying, hey, what about us over here? We need some of that precipitation. Goodness gracious, exactly. it's dry. Definitely needed moisture, and a lot of people are getting some welcome moisture over the weekend, on, especially on Friday, about three mm-hmm. to six inches in some portions of central Nebraska. And it did leave in some cold air overnight last night uh, with the clear skies and light winds. We saw those temperatures really drop into the single digits in portions of central Nebraska, including down to three above in the Kearney area. A lot of Nebraska right now with temperatures in the upper teens to low 20s, so definitely on the chilly side. Temperatures more so in the upper 20s to around 30 in northeast Colorado on into northern areas of Kansas. Cloud cover the thickest right now over much of central and eastern Nebraska, but we are seeing probably some breaks in the clouds from North Platte and points off towards the northwest or at least the lesser cloud cover. That cloud cover, though, will continue to increase today with the approach of an area of low pressure out of the Rockies. Snow chances increase west to east tonight on into tomorrow with that area of low pressure. Extending from the Kansas-Oklahoma border, a piece of it on into Nebraska. Now, the bulk of the snow will fall from southwest and central Nebraska into west and central Kansas. Lesser chances as you go more towards the east, and also probably a little less snow cover on into the Nebraska panhandle. With that area of low pressure tracking southeast into Texas, going away from us, winds on the backside tomorrow will turn more to the north and should top out at about 10 to 15. Not really going to take too much of a direct hit with this storm system, but still dropping some decent snowfall amounts of 2 to 4 inches in that winter weather advisory area. Wednesday through the upcoming weekend, forecast to be mainly dry with the warming trend. 
temperatures will be seasonal to slightly above average for Wednesday through Saturday. Then expecting temperatures 10 degrees warmer than normal by Sunday. Still some uncertainty on whether some small chances of light snow will pan out by Friday into Friday night with a disturbance moving through. Our long-term forecast, looking for mild for what we usually get in the month of December. Above normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central and eastern U.S. this weekend all the way through the Christmas weekend ending December 27th. So travel shouldn't be too much of a problem getting to your family's house. Near normal to below normal precipitation is expected this weekend through the 27th for Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors in the market include weekend rain and snow in wheat areas of the Southern Plains and limited rain for crop regions in South America. The next couple of days, a pair of fast-moving storm systems will maintain unsettled weather across the southern and eastern U.S. Snow fell yesterday in parts of Oklahoma, southern Kansas, southeast Colorado, and north Texas, providing beneficial moisture for drought-stressed pastures and wheat. Additional light precipitation forecast for the southern plains the next seven days. The Midwest will be mostly dry this week after moderate to heavy precipitation this past weekend. Brazil had widely scattered moderate to heavy rain this past weekend, bringing limited benefit for the corn and soybeans now in the reproductive stage. Showers will focus over South Brazil this week before they track north this weekend and next week. Minimal rain is predicted, though, for the highest production areas of Mato Grosso. Argentina saw scattered showers this past weekend. Periods of showers will continue across north Argentina this week with more widespread rain possible this coming weekend. The dryness in Argentina, though, has limited growth and development of corn and soybeans. With limited showers again this week, more stress is expected. This weekend system may bring some drought easing, but Argentina continues to run behind normal for rain. So tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, travel might be a few times where we're going to get snow? Exactly, yeah. Uh, bulk of the snow starting to fall in the overnight hours and mainly through the morning. And, of course, uh, that may be uh, putting a damper on kids getting to school for tomorrow since that snow may be going in full earnest by then. And uh, Two to four inches of snow, definitely going to cause some travel problems a lot like we saw on Friday. Okay, very good. Uh, for full snow forecast, where can somebody find that? You can check out our Facebook pages for KRVN and, of course, weather anytime, krvn.com. Thank you very much, Paul. CFAP was a huge help to the sheep industry. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Peter Ulrich is executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. He and I talked about how CFAP really helped producers when they needed it most. You're, you're exactly right. When the pandemic hit and restaurants shut down on the 16th of March, uh, we went into, into full, full, uh, full speed uh, to try to get assistance uh, into the sheep producers and lamb feeders. And, and, and that's what we essentially did for months. And it was a battle. I mean, everybody had their projections of how much damage was, was occurring and going to occur. Uh, and we took uh, took that message to Washington D.C. with our congressional supporters and USDA, uh, and we're able to serve not only just lamb but also wool. Um, and between the, between those two commodities and two rounds, we were able to secure over a hundred million dollars in direct payments to sheep producers and lamb feeders, and that's been showing up in the marketplace, Susan. What type of reaction have you guys then received from producers? You know, there was a tremendous amount of concern. Those lambs that were in the pipeline, everything was lined up for Easter, Passover, Ramadan in April. Um, 
that those those were a disaster. Every one of those animals lost, uh, you know, fifty to a hundred dollars a head. Uh, so at that point, it really was just keeping those uh, feeders and and those spring lamb uh, uh, producers in business. And uh, the goal was is to keep them and their bankers talking. And I think we succeeded in that. The last uh, two months of live lamb prices really have rebounded to where they were uh, at this time last year. Pleasant surprise to all of us, given how deep that hole was uh, in March, April, May. Recently, I know that we received a, a letter that showed what the current prices are for the wool, and we've seen a bit of an increase. Is that because demand is starting to pick back up? We're finding some new avenues, uh, getting more uniforms made for soldiers. What seems to be the drive that we've suddenly seen? Well, one is we saw the very, very, very bottom of the wool market, and there's so much of the 2012 that's uh, that's in storage because of those low prices. Fortunately, we were able to get the wool marketing loan program operational. Again, that's put millions of dollars back into for support. Um, and you're right, the U.S. military, they're continuing their purchases. We're building um, uh, uniforms for American service uh, men and women. Um, and we're starting to get a little more interest internationally. Um, but how do, you, how do you sell wool overseas when you don't have international travel? Uh, so we just completed a film crew. They went to every wool warehouse in America, every wool trader, interviewed those people, showed the wool they had to sale. So this winter, we're uh, we're taking the video of uh, the American wool industry to the international wool buyers. And as Peter and I continued to talk, we talked about entrepreneurship and new things coming the way to the sheep industry. Isn't, isn't that amazing that we have uh, uh, these people that are investing a lot of money and a lot of time? Uh, you know, your, your fiber mill that just came online, uh, there's a $20 million lamb plant that just started operating in Colorado uh, in September. There's another lamb plant that's coming uh, on board this winter in uh, San Angelo, Texas. And Peter went on to say what a great opportunity to see growth in the sheep industry, even amongst a pandemic. That's Peter Orwick with the American Sheep Industry Association. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Pro Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, there will be Friday afternoon football for Nebraska. The Big Ten announced yesterday they announced the football matchups for Week 9, the final week of the regular season of the Big Ten. Nebraska gets a road trip to New Jersey to take on Rutgers. Game time on Friday is set for three. The matchup is Nebraska's first with Rutgers in three years and just the fifth all-time meeting between the schools. Nebraska holds a 4 nothing edge in the series. Of course, we will bring you the game Friday afternoon here on 880 KRVN. The 3-0 Nebraska women's basketball team is on the road for the first time this year, albeit a short trip to Omaha to collide with Creighton. Tip-off of the annual showdown between the Big Red and the Blue Jays is set for five. We will bring you that game over on Cami Country. Also, it sounds like it will be televised by NET. College football news. Auburn is cutting ties with the last head coach they had to lead the Tigers to a national championship game. Gus Melzon, who went a decent 68-35 and in eight seasons at Auburn, was let go on Sunday with the team sporting a 6-4 and record this campaign. 
Malzahn led the Tigers to the 2013 SEC title in his first year as head coach before they eventually fell to Florida State in the national title game. And Illinois has given up and fired coach Lovey Smith with one game left in its ninth consecutive losing season. He was hired back in March of 2016. The longtime NFL coach went just 17-39 and in five seasons with the Illini. Alabama remains a unanimous number one team in the Associated Press College football poll. The rest of the top five remain the same with Notre Dame followed by Ohio State, Clemson, and Texas A&M. Cincinnati, Indiana, Iowa State, Coastal Carolina, and Georgia round out the top ten. Florida fell from 6th to 11th with Saturday's loss to LSU. Well, McCook redshirt senior Tiara Schmidt once again starred, breaking her own school record in the weight throw and being one of two lopers to win twice in Saturday's home meet. Her 62 feet 6 inch effort in the weight throw bests the effort of 62 feet 1 and 3 quarters that she threw last February and also leads all in Division 2 at the moment. She also won the shot put on Saturday with a throw of 46 feet 2 and 3 quarter inches. That ranks second nationally. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Unique words are used to describe marketing year 2020 when you talk to ag economists, including the word whiplash. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During the NAFB virtual trade talk, I had the opportunity to speak with David Widmar. He, along with co-founder Dr. Brent Gloy, developed agricultural economic insights. So as I asked David about 2020, he said it definitely was a unique marketing year. We started the year with the hopes and excitement and rumors and then the reality of phase one trade agreement. And this was a really big uh, boost of optimism in the farm sector. And we were, all eyes were on, will, you know, soybeans get over 1050 for that November 20 contract. And ever since that trade deal was signed, right, the soybeans just drifted lower and lower. And then of course the pandemic and then you get to April and May, and oil traded negative, and people were wondering, can corn trade negative? And and we sort of, you know, hit a really a low point. Uh, corn was around four dollars a bushel at the beginning of the year. It fell through three fifty, and we got to three twenty by the end of the summer, and it was pretty dire. And then there's about seven or eight weeks in August and September where uh, we had the Iowa storm and the USDA trimmed the yield, and we had CFAP two, and the rally in the markets. And now we're sort of feeling the other side of this this uh, roller coaster ride and it's important for producers to one remember uh, to recognize that we've had a big improvement in a short period of time step two is to realize um, we were in some some pretty painful spots there's some a lot of uh, sleepless nights this summer thinking about how we're going to make ends meet with three dollar or lower cash corn so I think it's an opportunity for us to revisit some of the lessons we we learned and shore up our balance sheets and, and shore up our budgets and get ourselves into a little better condition. Well, you know, you, you look at where we were going into the spring planting. We had so many weather concerns. We had so many trade issues that were kind of looming over us. I think there was some nervousness from these producers as they watched what happened in South America. They watched what was happening here in the States. And Mother Nature just threw one punch after another to these guys. And then when those punches hit... The markets reacted. When a tweet would go out from the president, the market would react. So I think this year, more than anything, it seems like we've had such an emotional tie 
to it. And then we've got the old timers, I use quotations around that, who said, hey, I remember what it was like in the late 70s into the 80s. And that, I think, added a nervous layer to everything else that was going on. Yeah, it's uh, 2020 was one of those years where uh, the tide went out pretty far, farther than we would have initially expected. And a lot of us uh, were very uncomfortable in that, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. And the only reference point we had was going back to the 1980s. And, you know, that's a question that we get asked a lot here in 2020, but just really in the last few years is um, we're in uncharted territory or uh, territory that we're not familiar with. And our closest, uh, you know, measuring stick to that is, unfortunately, that that painful period, the farm financial crisis. And so we've actually launched a new project to help size that up called Escaping 1980. Let's talk about that podcast, because I think there's a lot of folks that are going to be able to remember or at least ask questions about it. And this is a series, so this isn't just a one or two time podcast that folks can listen to. Yes, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, we've been writing. We have a free weekly insights newsletter. Uh, we have a premium content behind the paywall. So we've done a lot of writing. And one of the things that we've learned over the last six and a half years, is there's some stories that are hard to tell. And that story of the 1980s is really hard to tell, especially when, you, when you're writing. And so we've been looking for ways to tell that story and help people sort of uh, line up their personal experiences or the stories they heard and sort of understand the backdrop for some of the big moving parts. So we've put together a seven-episode podcast series called Escaping 1980. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, this week we released the third of those episodes, so we're going to continue to drop those on a weekly basis throughout the rest of the year here. And we're stepping back and saying, uh, what were the situations that led up to the eventual crisis? Uh, what were the moving parts? Who were the key players? And what are the lessons we can learn? And how do we apply those lessons today? And how do we uh, make sure we don't misapply some of those lessons learned? So as you guys have done this podcast and uh, you talk more about it, what are some takeaways? What are some learnings that you guys are maybe relearning that could be put into place now? <laughs> you know, it's funny. We learned a lot as we were pulling this together. Uh, and it's stuff, I guess the interesting thing is you know individual pieces, and then you start to weave that, that story together, and they start to connect really well. And, and, you know, we were talking here right before we hit the record button is ending stock. We were really concerned about ending stocks for corn at the beginning of this year that May Wazdi pushed corn stocks above 20%. And we were getting really concerned about that. But in the 1980s, uh, we had a burdensome stock situation as well. And this is how we got to the point where we have large set-aside programs in the PIC that became CRP. But the ending stock situation for corn in the mid-80s was somewhere around 60% of use. So we're, we went from 20% to use to something like 60% of use back in the 80s. That's economist David Widmar. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. From the News Center, I'm Bob Rogan. Stocks are rising on Wall Street as the country's first vaccinations against COVID-19 have the end of the pandemic slowly materializing into hazy sight. Investors are also waiting to see if government officials can deliver any progress on separate negotiations happening in Washington and on the other side of the Atlantic. If successful, the talks could give markets a further boost. 
The S&P 500 was four-tenths percent higher in midday trading, with the majority of stocks in the index climbing. The rally follows up on the index's 1% slip last week, which was its worst weekly performance since Halloween. The largest vaccination campaign in U.S. history is underway, with health workers getting the first shots. Relieved is the reaction of a nurse who got vaccinated early today. Hospitals are rolling out the first small shipments as boxes of precious frozen vials arrive at locations around the country, including Nebraska. The injections begin an effort to try to beat back the coronavirus, a day of hope amid grief as the nation's death toll nears a staggering 300,000. Google users in the U.S., Europe, India, and other parts of the world were briefly unable to access their Gmail accounts, watch YouTube videos, or get to their online documents. Tens of thousands of complaints popped up around 7 a.m. Eastern along the east coast of the U.S. Monday. The vast majority of those people, about 90%, could not log in, according to the site Down Detector. The problem appeared to clear up just before 8 a.m. The United Auto Workers and the U.S. Attorney's Office have reached a settlement to reform the union in the wake of a wide-ranging bribery and embezzlement scandal. Terms of the deal will be announced at a Monday afternoon news conference in Detroit. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Broder. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain futures with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, soybeans resilient on the day, but they helped to bring that corn market back around in the final moments of trade. Yeah, you know, overnight session, very prototypical that we've seen. You know, don't chase it. That's just been the, you know, one of these days we'll break out on that, but it's kind of been the MO. I've, I've been following this stuff for a long time, and I just feel Sunday nights are sometimes that that kind of phantom trade will give you an opportunity and anybody who bought would be regretting it by 7.30 and that was the case today. But uh, into the close, very strong. I think the feed grain sector is set to trade at least sideways. Seasonally, this time of year, we tend to perform. The last five years, we've been well above here into March. So short-term, I'm bullish. I think it's supportive at least. There we go. And we see the wheat market today actually continuing to lose traction. But given the news out of Russia with that export tax, given the U.S. light moisture in the southern plains, that's eventually got to turn long-term bullish maybe? Yeah, I think the, the, that was a little bit of buy the rumor, sell the facts. And we got that, you know, early this morning. And so closing above $6 last week, I'm sure you're looking at folks looking to sell a little bit here. But it's still a weather story. And Again, this this probably made this spring not in the uh, not in the early sectors of this of the winter, and we got a long way to go here. So I'm uh, I'm actually would say look at look at buying some um, some like March or May futures against next year's because the 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 export tax is going to kick in in the latter part of Q2. So you know you might want to own like May against September or something like that. It could be an interesting trade to develop. And we go over to the currency trade dollar index down sharply once again today. But have we taken most of the slack out of that market as it quickly approaches 90.50? Oh, well, I think it really just depends on what the Fed says on Wednesday. So I would imagine the dollar is going to strengthen again. I, I don't think Europe's going to be able to run away here and hide. And um, But I think commodities are going to perform regardless. I, I look for good good action out of the RAI. I think the ruble would be supported if they can never out of these sanctions. And commodities in general should perform in that environment. 
Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. You can always learn more at DanielsAgMarketing.com. Again, that's DanielsAgMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and option involved risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. When you visit DanielsAgMarketing.com, sign up for John's daily newsletter. That is his daily newsletter, which he includes a video with called This Week in Grain. Again, it's This Week in Grain. Across the close here today, soybeans going to settle nearly a percent higher on many contracts. While we'll see the corn in mostly in the green as well, this that September contract dipping three-quarters of a lower, though it's nearly 3% lower on most of the wheat contracts, both in Chicago and Kansas City. I thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Monday edition of Midday. If you missed anything, you can listen to our Midday podcast. That can be found on any iTunes or, or Apple or Android device. Again, that is sponsored by Tavani Motors. You can also find it at KRVN.